Um, this, is, um, this is the third week since I've been back from sabbatical. My name's Anthony, by the way. I'm the pastor of Valley Hill. Um, and what I've wanted to do these three weeks is to, to talk about things that, that I was thinking about, reading about, praying about. And um, the first week I talked about Sabbath, um, and then last week I talked about discipleship. And um, this week I, I'm talking about remembrance, uh, and we'll be in Deuteronomy 8, if you'd like to open your Bible there. Um, next week... Uh, I, I won't be here next week. A year ago, I agreed to speak at a family camp. It's only one week. I promise to be back. I'm not leaving for another three months. David Taylor will be here uh, next week, if you remember him from Christ Community. Um, but I wanted to take this last opportunity to give you my end of my what I did this summer uh, report in some sense. So we're going to read all of Deuteronomy 8. It's going to be on the screen as well. Before the screen disappears, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you'll eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God." who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna so that your fathers fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do, do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, 
I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations of the Lord, like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for calling us here today to respond to you, to worship you, to hear your word, to commune with you. And Lord Jesus, I pray that by your spirit, our hearts would be soft and we would hear you beckoning to hear, beckoning us to hear a good word. And our hearts would be small before you and we would rest in you. I thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Um, I, I love uh, the book of Deuteronomy. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the book of Deuteronomy. Um, this, if you don't, if you don't know, um, I, I'm in the process, a long process, of uh, working on a, a doctorate of ministry up at a seminary in Pennsylvania, and uh, there's my wife, my, my parents, other people have asked me, why, what are you doing? And Because um, I'm not trying to like, get a job with it. I'm not getting a doctorate in like, you know, getting a professor job. Because the kind of doctorate I'm getting, you don't get professor jobs with it. They don't do anything with it. Uh, I'm not trying to get a raise or, or anything like that. And uh, so naturally the question is, why? What is wrong with you? And uh, especially because I, I tell people what, what I'm studying, what I'm particularly interested in is a bunch of old dead people, like very, very old, very dead people who've been dead for a long 1,700 years or so. And uh, most people, reasonable, normal people, are not interested in those kinds of things and want to know, why? Why are you doing this? And um, there's, there's a lot there. I won't explain everything, but I... The more I spend time around these, these people, these men and women that are dead, um, the more I'm convinced how similar I am to them and how much we need them because how much our world today is like their world. And uh, I try to spend time with them so they can help me. Uh, and yeah, I know they're dead. I, I'm not. I've, I've been thinking now for quite some time about the power and importance of remembrance. And, and remembrance is the central theme, really, of the book of Deuteronomy. Um, the book of Deuteronomy uh, is taking place as a series of speeches or sermons inter that interlock and go together that Moses is giving to the people of Israel before they enter the promised land. They are standing at the edge of things. And Moses is not going with them. He's going to die, which is his judgment for, for his own sin. And Moses is speaking to a new generation of Israelites, well, relatively new. Their parents and their grandparents have all died in the wilderness um, because they were judged for doubting God. And so these kids are now grown up and taking ownership of the people of God, receiving the promises that God has given, and they are being reminded, this is the nature of the covenant that your, your parents, your grandparents uh, agreed to, accepted, received. This is what you are receiving. 
And this is what you are supposed to live up to. And there is a, a kind of sermonic uh, lilt to everything. It's, it's, in some ways, as you're reading the laws, it's much more lyrical and, and almost in some sense readable than, than the Levitical law. If you read the book of Levit- Leviticus, it just feels like a really long list of things, which is basically what it is. Deuteronomy has this interlocking narrative and charge to it because Moses, this is a man who's about to die, and these are people on the edge of something. And central to that message is, do not forget. Do not forget as you go in there and you do this thing. Do not forget who the Lord is, who the Lord of Israel is, and what he has done for you. And that that theology of Deuteronomy is then explained, lived out and fleshed out by basically the rest of the Old Testament. If you read the book of Deuteronomy and keep it in your mind, the rest of the Old Testament, by and large, makes a lot more sense. Because the rest of the Old Testament, the history and the prophets, is the story of Israel forgetting fundamental to the rest of the story of Israel is this sin that they perpetuate again and again, generation after generation, that they have forgotten who the Lord is and who they are. So Deuteronomy is is vital. And I could read a bunch of the book of Deuteronomy, but this is chapter 8 is just one good example of how this charge to remember is framed. And you have it in, in kind of two parts, this chapter. If, you, if your Bible looks like mine, um, there's kind of two paragraphs in, in chapter 8. And the first paragraph, the first half of it, is God reminding the people, this is the thing that I have done positively to you. I have, I have done good to you this way. I have taken care of you in the wilderness this way. I have fed you things that you didn't even know existed, this manna which is totally confusing and new to them, which is why they called it manna, which is a word that means, what is it? They'd never seen it before, but God provided for them with it. They, he, he keeps clothes on their back. He keeps their foot, their feet in good condition. They are preserved and protected as a people. This is what God does for them. And the second half is a warning to them. If you forget, if you are, if you are wooed, and fooled by the power of prosperity into thinking that you have done this and won this, you yourself will also go the way of death. You will die like all the nations around you. This is a fundamental and crucial point because people come to Israel's history and they can pick some parts of the Old Testament and think this is some sort of ethnocentric document that's all about making Israelites and their blood relatives feel real good about themselves. But the law is very clear. If Israel does not covenantally remember all the time, they are basically the same as everyone around them. God will not just treat them better and better and better than everyone else just because their DNA is different than other people's DNA. This fundamental aspect of being an Israelite is the task of remembrance and of worship. And Israel, spoiler alert, forgets. Israel forgets. The thing that the law warns them about happens very quickly. You can turn to the book of Joshua, and you see it more clearly in the book of Judges. 
But people forget that God is the one who has provided for them, and they enter the enter this centuries-long cycle of forgetting and entering into death, and God rescuing them out of mercy, and them being restored to prosperity, and them forgetting, and them being judged because they've forgotten, and then God rescuing them because he's merciful, and then being restored, and then they forget. It's just this long cycle that plays out in the history and the prophets. And this, this issue of, of forgetting is fundamental to humanity, not just Israel, but of all people. Because this question, will you remember is right at the beginning of the story of humanity in the beginning of the Bible. It is a question of remembrance that brings Adam and Eve's story grinding to a a terrible and deathly end. Because the question that is asked, is it really true? Did God really say? Da-da-da-da-da. And Eve, when she hears this question, answers wrongly. She does not remember correctly the answer to the question, but instead alters the answer. When the serpent asks her, did God really say you can't even do this? And she says, we're not even allowed to touch that fruit. And that is not what God said. What God said is they are not allowed to eat that fruit. And she has said, God has not even allowed us to touch that fruit. She did not remember rightly, and everything spins out of control. And this is usually the nature of our failure to remember. Because what you are meant to remember is that God is good, and He will do good to His people. This is the central question that gets played at and pulled apart in the parts of the people of God, in the hearts of all people everywhere, over and over and over again. Is God really good? And will he do good to you? That's why the beginning of the Deuteronomy chapter 8 is to tell the people of Israel, God is good. Remember, Israel, he's done all of these good things to you because he himself is good, because he loves you, he will care for you, he is good, and he will do good to you. It's the same question that was given to Eve. Is God withholding from you? Is God being stingy with you? Is God actually going to do good to you and with you? There are two different ways that we fail to remember correctly. And they both arrive at the same point. One is to forget all the ways that God has been good to us. I I experience this personally all the time. I am bent towards negativity. I am bent towards remembering all the things that have gone wrong, to see only what has gone wrong. And it requires active remembrance for me to step back and see, wow, I have been profoundly cared for. I see it 
all the time as a pastor of this church. I, I, I think all the time about our church and all the ways that we are failing, that we are short, that I'm not quite sure how things will move forward. And the story of our church is largely the story of God taking care of our church. I I can throw a million things on the list of ways that God has taken care of our, our church that I've known since it was eyesight in a bar in Black Mountain and has grown from there to here. The list is long, but my eyes often go to the places where things have not gone well or the places where I fear that it will not go well. We forget the good that God has done. And a second way that we forget habitually, the ways that I forget habitually, is not just to forget how God has done good, but to only remember when the world has gone wrong. Because I, I do know of all the ways that we, well, I, may be, I probably don't know all the ways. I know many of the ways that we have fallen short as a church. I, I know many of the ways that I have fallen short personally, that I have failed, that the world has failed me, the world has failed our church. And, and if your remembrance is focused and fixated and obsessed and all the wrong that has been done to you, and all the wrong that you have done. You are locked in a prison of bitterness. And you slowly and consistently view the world as a place that God has removed himself from. Or at the very least, surely is a testimony that God is not good. And he will not do good to me. Both of those means of forgetfulness. Forgetting the ways that God has been good. Remembering the ways that the world has been bad. Are both pathways that arrive at the same destination. Believing the lie that the serpent has been telling since the very beginning, that God is withholding from you, that God is not intending to be good to you, that you, in fact, will be a better ruler in the world than this God will be. So it is upon you to take control of the wheel of your life, to steer in the direction that you want to steer, to pretend like God does not exist, so that when things are going well, you look at your life like I do and say, man, I'm a genius. I've done amazing. Look how great things are. And you forget that God is the one who gives all good things to people. And then when things spiral out of control, the case is just built. See, God is the one who's in charge, and He's mean. He doesn't like me. He's going to fail me. He doesn't want good things for me because He is not fundamentally good. Both of these things are just pathways that cause you to arrive at the same place that Israel has arrived at by the end of their history. Remembrance is powerful and important. It it can be the, the means of divine amnesia and it can be the means 
of perpetual bitterness and anger and disappointment. And and we have to be mindful of that as a church. Because remembrance doesn't only have to function that way. Remembrance can also be the vehicle by which God launches you into the promised land. Because ultimately what Israel is being told in Deuteronomy 8, do not forget who you are so that you can receive all of the covenant blessings and promises that I've given you. Remember who you are so that you receive not death, but life. So that ultimately Israel is, a blessed, is blessed and a blessing for all the world. And there are ways that we can get locked in cages by remembrance, not just by bitterness, but by the power of nostalgia. We can look inward upon ourselves and think that only remembering the good times that were in the past and just thinking if only we could be back in the past again. I'm tempted by that all the time. There's a real part of me that loved the days when I was 21 and we had church in a bar and people showed up in that bar that never came to church. And I just, part of me wants to be there again because that was so fresh and exciting and different and new and it helped me fall in love with church again. Man, if we could just get back to those days again. But those days are not what I need. Those days are not what I am craving. However, the memory that's inside of that nostalgia is a reminder to me of what is good and true and what I love and what I hope that we will always be. And if we have forgotten the center, the kernel of what those days were, we need to remember that. I need to remember that. That frankly, I want our church, this church, my life to have wide open doors to the people stumble in here that don't look like they belong in church. They can feel like I can come to church here where I've never been comfortable coming to church before. I don't really fit in to what these people look like or what this building looks like or what Christianity is about. But I can come here because I see Jesus here and I'm interested in Jesus and I just smell something that I'm hungry for. That is a good thing. And that is our mission. That is, in some sense, a piece of the promised land that we are not meant to forget, but is our inheritance, our blessing that we cannot leave aside. And let me tell you, if we forget that, we will die. Because nostalgia can be tempting and comfortable and wonderful and sweet-smelling, but it can also be your cage as much as bitterness and disappointment can be. There is a danger fundamentally in being human because there is a danger fundamentally in forgetting. It is the, the thing that floats in the air around us and is constantly lulling us into danger. God is good and will do good to His people. And that is what sets us free to live in light of the Father's approval and care and love for us. 
that allows us to give away our lives, our resources, our time, because we live in light of a supremely generous Father. The central mistrust of the nature of God is supremely answered in the person of Jesus. Because this question that we have, not just about our lives, but about the nature of reality itself, is someone out there who is good and will do good to me? And there, that, that story that was whispered to us at the beginning of our creation is shouted down and forgotten in the obscurity of our sin and our bondage and our slavery. And in answer to our own downfall, the, the amnesia that has fallen upon us, God himself has inserted himself into the story to visibly and physically call not just Israel, but all people everywhere to remember the truth of who he is, that God actually is good. And even when his people, even when all people doubt it forever and turn away from him, he is the God who comes into the story to say in Jesus that I am good. I am a good father. I do love you. And even though you've rebelled against me, I will come and get you. God is not the stingy, withdrawn father who just, you better figure it out on your own. And if you can make it to me, then you can come sit in my lap. He is the father who throws open the doors to the house. He is the father in the story of the prodigal son who waits at the gate and looks down the path, hoping for his children to come home. He is the God who lifts himself up to display his majesty and his glory. And he does it by dying on a cross to see so that his people will see that glory himself ripped open and pulled apart so that death itself would be ripped open and pulled apart. This is the nature of God. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, John explains his, what he's going to do in his Gospel, and he says, Moses came and gave the law, but nobody has seen God and then Jesus comes who has always been with God and God at the same time from the very side of the Father is what he says. And he comes and, and though we've never seen God ourselves, he comes as the one who has always seen God so that the people of the world will be brought out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is the God who would perpetually remind his people I am for you and I love you and you were made for me and I will come and get you forever. That's why we start our worship service with a call to worship. This is not your idea. This is not my idea. This is God the Father calling you to come worship Him. Because He wants you here, even though you may have forgotten from one week to the next. Even though from one week to the next, you may have thought, look at me, I'm killing it. I am doing awesome. You are called here to remember, God is awesome. He is supremely good. He has given you every good thing. 
And the world may have pressed in on you and beaten you this week. You may have fallen prey to sin. You may feel enslaved and in chains. And you may be wondering from one week to the next, surely God has forgotten me. Surely God wants nothing to do with me. Surely God cannot redeem me. And this week, today, God has called you here to see Him and to remember Him and to hear the truth that He loves you and He will not be put aside by your doubt of Him. From one week to the next, we are a people who perpetually need remembrance. And we come to His table every week because He feeds us from Himself. Israel wandered in the wilderness and fed on manna. But the people of Jesus wander this world from day to day and week to week and feed from a different kind of bread that comes from heaven. It is the bread of the body of Christ. So that in Him, every need that we have would be fulfilled. And we will never hunger and never thirst again. If you are here this week and you have been busy forgetting, if it has just happened to you without you even noticing, which is me, if you have been secure in the way that you have run your life and you know that your hands are on the wheel and you are doing a great job, God is reminding you this morning that He has been good to you. He loves you and everything else that you may have been distracted by or obsessed with. He's better than that too. And this week, you may have been wrapped in bitterness and disappointment and forgetfulness of a different kind. And all the wounds that you have carried in here, whether self-inflicted or afflicted upon you, are not to convince you of the lie. That God loves you, he does good to you, and he will not let those things have the final word over who you are, but he himself will speak a better word, and he will give you himself, because he loves you, and he is good, and he will do good to you. Would you remember that today? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your persistence with us. We we are so often so naturally caved in on ourselves, perpetually staring down into ourselves, convinced that the true story of the world is our story. It's about us. And yet you invite us to be reminded of the real, the real story of the world. That it all swirls around you, and we are better off for it. When our lives are good, Father, we... We think about ourselves. When our lives are hard, we accuse you. 
Father, I pray that this morning the, the truth would break again on our hearts. That you're good to us. That you love us. That we are made for you. And you will do good to us and with us and for us. I pray that you would silence the whispers of the enemy. Silence the whispers of the world and of our flesh. And instead, help us to see again what we've forgotten, whether it's been over the course of a week or a month or a year or a decade or a lifetime. I thank you that you came to make things plain and clear for us. Help us to see and to hear and to receive. Thank you, Jesus, that that we know is what your heart is. We are so grateful for it. Amen.